The embryology team plays a critical role at Fertility Centers of Illinois. Though you may not have a lot of face time with the embryology team, they're working hard in the lab to help you grow your family now or in the future. Today, Dr. Jorgen Lieberman, Director of Laboratories at Fertility Centers of Illinois, joins the Time to Talk Fertility podcast to discuss embryology and how his team supports you on your fertility journey. This is the Time to Talk Fertility podcast. I'm your host, Deborah Howell. Dr. Lieberman, so nice to have you with us today. It's my pleasure. Good morning. Good morning. Now, what does an embryologist do, and why is this role extremely important to a fertility clinic? Being an embryologist is an occupation that was coming out of infertility treatment 20, 30 years ago. It's a very specialized occupation that deals with the gamuts of a couple seeking infertility treatment and parenthood later. So we work with male gametes as well as with female gametes, oocytes, and sperm. We create a culture system to fertilize oocytes and make possible they develop to embryos with a potential to achieve pregnancies. We transfer these embryos, we retrieve and find eggs after oocyte retrieval, and we also freeze the oocytes and embryos as well. We do biopsies required to do a genetic testing on embryos. Sounds good. Now, can you tell us about your team and what sets FCI apart from other laboratories? So my team contains about 13 embryologists, two clerks for andrology, and one is responsible for shipping in and out embryos and oocytes. What's special here, we treat each other with respect. We have a very good work environment. People like to come to work. We appreciate everyone's work and input. So we create a workplace where people love to work and also bring their diligence and their focus on the work because that is very important. We train our people in-house. We have a variety of people with different experience that goes from one year to more than 20 years. And uh, the benefit of being at the uh, Fertility Center of Illinois is our size. We do more than 2,300 uh, retrievals a year and 1,600 FETs. We fit volume. We do many cases literally in a week that overlaps might we do in a month. Wow, that's wonderful. So how does FCI freeze and thaw embryos? I'm curious. And does the method of thawing impact success rates? It does. Freezing embryos is a powerful tool as an add-on to an infertility treatment cycle. And the reason is that when we have a patient that gets stimulated and we achieve oocytes and we generate embryos, we usually make more embryos as we like to transfer because our first target is making patients pregnant with a single healthy baby. So we want to prevent as much as we can multiples. So when she has more embryos after transfer, we have this opportunity to freeze them. They get cryopreserved at a very low temperature. It's usually a liquid nitrogen at a temperature of minus 196 degrees Celsius. And when we thaw them and patients would come back using these embryos, they have literally the same potential as fresh embryos to generate a pregnancy. We use vitrification. More than 20 years, I was very much involved in this technique, and I also published two books on this. It's a very fast technique that allows us to freeze embryos fast, but also consistently with an excellent survival and after thawing, keeping their potential to make babies. Sounds great. And about how many eggs does FCI freeze every year? 
So we do about 400 egg freezes a year. That comes down to an average per patient of 10 eggs, so about 3,500 to 4,000 eggs. That's impressive. And what role does an embryologist play during an IVF procedure? There is a couple of duties everyone has to learn when you come to us. It starts simple with paperwork and uh, blood work because as an embryologist, we also have to make sure the day before that patients have the requirements to retrieve them. That would be the blood work. It's up to date. We have to know it's an infectious disease or it's not an infectious disease. We go vent. The culture and the storage of the embryos would be in a different tank. We retrieve the oocytes. We will find them on the microscope. We prepare them for fertilization. We do the fertilization. Then we check on fertilization a day after. And then we adjust the look at embryos on the day of transfer. We evaluate them. We do biopsy. We freeze eggs and embryos. We also freeze sperm and testicular tissue. And when the patient comes in, we do also the transfer. Got it. Now, I'm curious, what is ICSI? So this is a shortcut for, it stands for intracytoplasmatic cell sperm injection. So intracellular sperm injection for the child. That means we take a glass needle, we pick up one single sperm, and we inject it inside the cytoplasma of the oocyte. So this is one option how to fertilize oocytes. It is definitely very helpful if we have a low sperm count. Another option would be if we create a suspension of sperm of the partner and add it to the oocyte, keep them overnight in culture, and let them fertilize by themselves in the dishes. Understood. And then what happens after fertilization in the early stages of the embryo? So when we do fertilization, is it ICSI or conventional IVF, as I explained before, it takes overnight 18 to 20 hours to determine if these eggs are successfully fertilized after sperm injection. After fertilization, they will cleave two, three hours later to a two-cell stage embryo, and then another hours, like 34 hours post-ICSI, it gives a three and a four-cell embryo, and so on. On day three, we will have an eight-cell embryo, that contains eight blastomeres, we call them blastomeres. And then on day five, we get to a stage that is very different to day three because now we just call it also blastocyst, but it contains now more than 150 to 200 cells compared to a day three embryo with eight. Wow, grows very quickly. It grows very quickly, and this very fast growing happens on day four to day five. It's also a very important step in embryonic development, not just in human because many embryos can come to an arrest in their development after day three. So when we go to day five and we culture longer than day three, we can see the true value of an embryo, because when embryos qualify or disqualify themselves for transfer or for freezing. Okay, we've been talking about blastocysts. Could you tell me what exactly is a blastocyst? So a blastocyst, maybe let me start on day three, because on day three, when I mentioned before, we have an eight-cell embryo, this embryo has, we call it, total potency. That means all these eight cells in this embryo have the same potential if we would separate them to make babies. This total potency gets lost on day four to day five because now these eight cells differentiated in two different cell lines. One would be trophectoderm and one would be the inner cell mass, we call it ICM. And this inner cell mass is actually the fetus, whereas the trophectoderm cells will make later the placenta. So 
by specializing them now into different cell lines where we lose their total potency and they're now pluripotent. Difference also is, of course, in the number of cells that we now have 150 to 200 cells. We have about 120 cells of trophectoderm cells. It's one cell line surrounding the embryo. Then we have inside cavity. We call it blastocyl. It's filled with fluid. And then we have very isolated, very dense cells of inner cellular cells. That's the embryo of about 40. And the difference between day three and day five blastocysts is more than just size, correct? It is more than size. On day three, we don't call it blastocysts. We just call it a cleavage stage embryo. But when on day five, on day six, or day seven, we call it blastocysts. Okay, got it. Now, how does the lab grade embryos, and what is the grading criteria? We grade based on morphology. So when we look at these blastocysts, or on day three, we look at the size of the blastomers, or we look at just the number of cells in the blastocyst. We look at their expansion, and based on this, we create. So, for example, when we create an eight-cell embryo on day three, we look at the number of blastomers. Is size of these blastomers equal? Do we have no fragmentation? Sometimes embryos, besides where blastomers create also fragmentations that can be counterproductive to a good development. Based on this, we create them 8-cell-1s or 8-cell-2s if they have more fragmentation, like more than 10%. If we go to the blastocyst, we look at the number of cells, trophectoderm, ICM, expansion, and then well, we give a grading, for example, for expansion, a 1, less expanded would be a 2, and when we get, we provide two alphabetic letters, it's A, for a good cell number, if the number is a little bit less, we give a B. So a perfect blastocyst, for example, on day five, full expanded, would be a one. And then we give an A for the number of trophectoderm cells and an A for inner cell mass. So one AA would be a top grading for a day five embryo. If we have an embryo on day six that looks like a day five embryo, but it's a day later, we cannot provide any more a one but we will give a two and also if the cell number is correct, AA, so it would be a perfect day six embryo, two AA. And that's what we always hope for, right? Yes. Okay. Now switching topics just a bit, what is genetic testing of embryos and how is it performed? So the genetic testing, we have the ability on a day five embryo or day six or day seven embryo to determine chromosomes, 23 chromosome pairs, but also the sex chromosomes. So if we have a blastocyst on day six, we open it up. Usually the blastocyst is still surrounded by a protective shell. It's called sona pellucida. The sona pellucida is very important if couple conceive natural because it's a spot where sperm binds and then penetrates the oocyte to fertilize. In our work here, we have to open up the sona. We use a laser, a small opening, and then we go in with a glass pipette take some cells and pull them out, cut them off with a laser. And it's about five to 10 cells from this blastocyst. I mentioned we have about 120, so it is something that the embryo can deal with. And these cells go in a little tube and we send it to a reference lab that then looks at these cells, looks at the number of chromosomes. Do we have 23 chromosome pairs? Do we have not like a chromosome that is three times a triploidy? Or is it overall abnormal? So this is genetic testing. At the same moment, we can also determine the sex of the embryo. Okay. And can an embryo be damaged during genetic testing? 
So only way to get this genetic information, we have to make this opening, we have to take some cells out. There is a potential to do some damage, but it is just the way how to perform at the moment this technique. Usually our embryos survive very well because of the extreme high number of cells remaining healthy. So it is potentially bare, but I can tell you in most cases here, embryos do very well, especially when we freeze them and we form them because they're coming back as normal embryos and we transfer them and we make healthy babies. Good to know. And what new advances do you see in the future? For example, we talked about PGD and we talked about potential damage to embryos. So there could be something, we would call it a non-invasive assessment of the embryo by not taking cells out. Instead of collecting the media, the embryo was cultured after uh, certain hours. And then based on this media, we also can determine the normality or abnormality of the embryo. So that would be something that would definitely be something we would like to see in future. It has to come from the labs where they perform the genetic testing. It's called non-invasive genetic testing. Another thing I would like to see is artificial intelligence. It's something, you know, in future that will impact our field by helping us more to select the right embryo for transfer or for freezing, looking at the number of follicles and determine is it the right time to give the trigger for uh, the oocyte retrieval. And then I work intensively on freezing and thawing of embryos. So we always made here progress by making the protocol more efficient, more time-saving, but also more successful the embryos. And we will publish that soon in a journal. And we also, I look momentarily on egg freezing also to improve here the outcome in terms of survival and fertilization and how they develop to embryos. It seems that we're in a golden age of medicine with all the new technology, and it seems like you're at the cutting edge. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Dr. Lieberman? I would like to uh, thank you to give me this opportunity to present our work here as embryologist at Fertility Center of Illinois, and I appreciate very much to have that opportunity. Well, it's all wonderful information and great news for patients, Dr. Lieberman. Thanks so much for being with us to share your expertise. Thanks for having me. That was Dr. Jorgen Lieberman, Director of Laboratories here at FCI. Schedule an appointment to talk to a fertility specialist at 877-324-4483 or visit fcionline.com for more information. And if you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more like it in our podcast library. And be sure to give us a like and a follow if you do. This has been the Time to Talk Fertility Podcast. I'm your host, Deborah Howell. Have yourself a terrific day.